0: book 5 chapter 5 of the wars of the jews this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the wars of the jews by josephus translated by william whiston chapter 5 a description of the temple 1 now this temple as i have already said was built upon a strong hill. At first, the plain at the top was hardly sufficient for the holy house and the altar, for the ground about it was very uneven, and like a precipice. But when King Solomon, who was the person that built the temple, had built a wall to it on its east side, there was then added one cloister founded on a bank cast up for it, and on the other parts the holy house stood naked. But in future ages, the people added new banks, and the hill became a larger plain. Footnote. See the description of the temples hereto belonging, chapter 15. But note that what Josephus here says of the original scantiness of this Mount Moriah, that it was quite too little for the temple, and that at first it held only one cloister or court of Solomon's temple, and that the foundations were forced to be added long afterwards by degrees, render it capable of the cloisters for the other courts, etc., is without all foundation in the scriptures, and not at all confirmed by his exacter account in the antiquities. All that is or can be true here is this, that when the court of the Gentiles was long afterward to be encompassed with cloisters, the southern foundation for these cloisters was found not to be large or firm enough, and was raised. And that additional foundation, supported by great pillars and arches underground, which Josephus speaks of elsewhere, and which Mister Moundrell saw and describes as extent underground at this day, and footnote. They then broke down the wall on the north side and took in as much as sufficed afterward for the compass of the entire building, and when they had built walls on three sides of the temple round about from the bottom of the hill, and had performed a work that was greater than could be hoped for, in which work long ages were spent by them, as well as all their sacred treasures were exhausted, which were still replenished by those tributes which were sent to God from the whole habitable earth. They then encompassed the upper parts with cloisters, as well as they afterward did the lowest court of the temple the lowest part of this was erected to a height of three hundred cubits and in some places more yet did not the entire depth of the foundations appear for they brought earth and filled up the valleys as being desirous to make them on a level with the narrow streets of the city wherein they made use of stones of forty cubits in magnitude for the great plenty of money they then had and the liberality of the people made this attempt of theirs to succeed to an incredible degree and what could not be so much as hoped for as ever to be accomplished was by perseverance and length of time brought to perfection Two. now for the works that were above these foundations these were not unworthy of such foundations for all the cloisters were double and the pillars to them belonging were twenty-five cubits in height and supported the cloisters. These pillars were of one entire stone, each of them, and that stone was white marble, and the roofs were adorned with cedar, curiously graven. The natural magnificence, the excellent polish, and the harmony of the joints in these cloisters, afforded a prospect that was very remarkable, nor was it on the outside adorned with any work of the painter or engraver. The cloisters of the outmost court were in breadth thirty cubits, while the entire compass of it was by measure six furlongs, including the Tower of Antonia. Those entire courts that were exposed to the air were laid with stones of all sorts. When you go through these first cloisters, unto the second court of the temple, there was a partition made of stone all around, whose height was three cubits. Its construction was very elegant. Upon it stood pillars at equal distance from one another, declaring the law of purity, some in Greek, and some in Roman letters, that, quote, no foreigner should go within that sanctuary, close quote. For that second court of the temple was called the Sanctuary, and was ascended to by 14 steps from the first court. This court was four square, and had a wall about it peculiar to itself the height of its buildings although it were on the outside forty cubits was hidden by the steps and on the inside that height was but twenty-five cubits footnote what josephus seems here to mean is this that these pillars supporting the cloisters in the second court had their foundations or lowest parts as deep as the floor of the first or lowest court but that so far of those lowest parts, as were equal to the elevation of the upper floor above the lowest were, and must be, hidden on the inside by the ground or rock itself, on which that upper court was built, so that 40 cubits visible below were reduced to 25 visible above, and implies the difference of their height to be 15 cubits. The main difficulty lies here, how fourteen or fifteen steps should give an ascent of fifteen cubits, half a cubit seeming sufficient for a single step. Possibly there were fourteen or fifteen steps at the partition wall, and fourteen or fifteen more thence into the court itself, which would bring the whole near to the just proportion. For it being built over against a higher part of the hill with steps, it was no further to be entirely discerned within, being covered by the hill itself. Beyond these thirteen steps, there was a distance of ten cubits. This was all plain, whence there were other steps, each five cubits apiece, that led to the gates, which gates on the north and south sides were eight, on each of those sides four, and of necessity two on the east. For since there was a partition built for the women on that side, as the proper place wherein they were to worship, there was a necessity for a second gate for them. This gate was cut out of its wall, over against the first gate. There was also on the other sides one southern and one northern gate, through which was a passage into the court of the women. For as to the other gates, the women were not allowed to pass through them. Nor, when they went through their own gate, could they go beyond their own wall. This place was allotted to the women of our own country, and of other countries, provided they were of the same nation, and that equally. The western part of this court had no gate at all, but the wall was built entire on that side. But then the cloisters which were betwixt the gates extended from the wall inward, before the chambers, for they were supported by very fine and large pillars, these cloisters were single, and excepting their magnitude, were in no way inferior to those of the lower court three now nine of these gates were on every side covered over with gold and silver, as were the jams of the doors and their lentils. But there was one gate that was without the inward court of the holy house, which was of Corinthian brass and greatly excelled those that were only covered over with silver and gold. Each gate had two doors, whose height was severally thirty cubits, and their breadth fifteen. However, they had large spaces within of thirty cubits, and had on each side rooms, and those, both in breadth and in length, built like towers, and their height was above forty cubits. Two pillars did also support these rooms, and were in circumference twelve cubits. Now the magnitudes of the other gates were equal one to another, but that over the Corinthian gate, which opened on the east over against the gate of the Holy House itself, was much larger, for its height was fifty cubits, and its doors were forty cubits. And it was adorned after a most costly manner, as having much richer and thicker plates of silver and gold upon them than the other these nine gates had that silver and gold poured upon them by alexander the father of tiberius now there were fifteen steps which led away from the wall of the court of the women to this greater gate whereas those that led thither from the other gates were five steps shorter for as to the holy house itself Which was placed in the midst of the inmost court, that most sacred part of the temple, it was ascended to by twelve steps, and in front its height and its breadth were equal, and each a hundred cubits, though it was behind forty cubits narrower, for on its front it had what may be styled shoulders on each side, that passed twenty cubits further. Its first gate was seventy cubits high and twenty-five cubits broad. But this gate had no doors, for it represented the universal visibility of heaven, and that it cannot be excluded from any place. Its front was covered with gold all over, and through it the first part of the house, that was more inward, did all of it appear, which, as it was very large, so did all the parts about the more inward gate appear to shine to those that saw them but then as the entire house was divided into two parts within it was only the first part of it that was open to our view its height extended all along to ninety cubits in height and its length was fifty cubits and its breadth twenty but that gate which was at this end of the first part of the house was as we have already observed all over covered with gold as was its whole wall about it it had also golden vines above it from which clusters of grapes hung as tall as a man's height. But then this house, as it was divided into two parts, the inner part was lower than the appearance of the outer, and had golden doors of fifty-five cubits altitude, and sixteen in breadth. But before these doors there was a veil of equal largeness within the doors. It was a Babylonian curtain, embroidered with blue and fine linen and scarlet, and purple, and of a contexture that was truly wonderful. Nor was this mixture of colors without its mystical interpretation, but was a kind of image of the universe, for by the scarlet there seemed to be enigmatically signified fire, by the fine flax, the earth, by the blue, the air, and by the purple, the sea, two of them having the colors the foundation of this resemblance, But the fine flax and the purple have their own origin for that foundation, the earth producing the one, and the sea the other. This curtain had also embroidered upon it all that was mystical in the heavens, excepting that of the twelve signs representing living creatures. 5. When any persons entered into the temple, its floor received them this part of the temple therefore was in height sixty cubits and its length the same whereas its breadth was but twenty cubits but still that sixty cubits in length was divided again and the first part of it was cut off at forty cubits and had in it three things that were very wonderful and famous among all mankind the candlestick the table of showbread and the altar of incense Now the seven lamps signified the seven planets, for so many there were springing out of the candlestick. Now the twelve loaves that were upon the table signified the circle of the zodiac and the year. But the altar of incense, by its thirteen kinds of sweet-smelling spices with which the sea replenished it, signified that God is the possessor of all things that are both in the uninhabitable and habitable parts of the earth. And that they are all to be dedicated to his use but the inmost part of the temple of all was of twenty cubits this was also separated from the outer part by a veil in this there was nothing at all it was inaccessible and inviolable and not to be seen by any and was called the holy of holies now about the sides of the lower part of the temple there were little houses With passages out of one into another. There were a great many of them, and they were of three stories high. There were also entrances on each side into them from the gate of the temple. But the superior part of the temple had no such little houses any further, because the temple was there narrower, and forty cubits higher, and of a smaller body than the lower parts of it. Thus we collect that the whole height including the sixty cubits from the floor, amounted to a hundred cubits. 6. Now the outward face of the temple in its front wanted nothing that was likely to surprise either men's minds or their eyes, for it was covered all over with plates of gold of great weight, and, at the first rising of the sun, reflected back a very fiery splendor, and made those who forced themselves to look upon it to turn their eyes away, just as they would have done at the sun's own rays. But this temple appeared to strangers, when they were coming to it at a distance, like a mountain covered with snow, for as to those parts of it that were not gilt, they were exceeding white. On its top it had spikes with sharp points to prevent any pollution of it by birds sitting upon it. Of its stones some of them were forty-five cubits in length five in height and six in breadth before this temple stood the altar fifteen cubits high and equal both in length and breadth each of which dimensions was fifty cubits the figure it was built in was a square and it had corners like horns and the passage up to it was by an insensible acclivity. it was formed without any iron tool nor did any such iron tool so much as touch it at any time. There was also a wall of partition, about a cubit in height, made of fine stones, and so as to be grateful to the sight. This encompassed the holy house and the altar, and kept the people that were on the outside off from the priests. Moreover, those that had the gonorrhea and the leprosy were excluded out of the city entirely. Women also when their courses were upon them, were shut out of the temple. Nor, when they were free from that impurity, were they allowed to go beyond the limit before mentioned. Men also, that were not thoroughly pure, were prohibited to come into the inner court of the temple. Nay, the priests themselves that were not pure, were prohibited to come into it also. 7 now all those of the stock of the priests that could not minister by reason of some defect in their bodies came within the partition together with those that had no such imperfection and had their share with them by reason of their stock but still made use of none except their own private garments for nobody but he that officiated had on his sacred garments but then those priests that were without any blemish upon them went up to the altar clothed in fine linen. They abstained chiefly from wine, out of this fear, lest otherwise they should transgress some rules of their ministration. The high priest did also go up with them, not always indeed, but on the seventh days and new moons, and if any festivals belonging to our nation, which we celebrate every year, happened when he officiated he had on a pair of breeches that reached beneath his private parts to his thighs and had on an inner garment of linen together with a blue garment round without a seam with fringe-work and reaching to the feet there were also golden bells that hung upon the fringes and pomegranates intermixed among them the bells signified thunder and the pomegranates lightning but that girdle that tied the garment to the breast was embroidered with five rows of various colours, of gold and purple and scarlet, as also of fine linen and blue, with which colours, we told you before, the veils of the temple were embroidered also. The like embroidery was upon the ephod, but the quantity of gold therein was greater. Its figure was that of a stomacher for the breast. There were upon it two golden buttons like small shields which buttoned the ephod to the garment in these buttons were enclosed two very large and very excellent sardonyxes having the names of the tribes of that nation engraved upon them on the other part were hung twelve stones three in a row one way and four in the other a sardius a topaz and an emerald a carbuncle a jasper and a sapphire an agate an amethyst and a ligure an onyx a beryl and a chrysolite upon every one of which was again engraved one of the four mentioned names of the tribes a mitre also of fine linen encompassed his head which was tied by a blue ribbon about which there was another golden crown in which was engraven the sacred name of god it consists of four vowels however The high priest did not wear these garments at other times, but a more plain habit. He only did it when he went into the most sacred part of the temple, which he did but once in a year, on that day when our custom is for all of us to keep a fast to God. And thus, much concerning the city and the temple, but for the customs and laws hereto relating, we shall speak more accurately another time for there remain a great many things thereto relating, which have not been here touched upon. 8. Now as to the tower of Antonia, it was situated at the corner of two cloisters of the court of the temple, of that on the west, and that on the north. It was erected upon a rock of fifty cubits in height, and was on a great precipice. It was the work of King Herod, wherein he demonstrated his natural magnanimity. In the first place, the rock itself was covered over with smooth pieces of stone from its foundation, both for ornament, and that anyone who would either try to get up or to go down to it, might not be able to hold his feet upon it. Next to this, and before you come to the edifice of the tower itself, there was a wall three cubits high. But within that wall, all the space of the tower of Antonia itself was built upon, to the height of forty cubits. The inward parts had the largeness and form of a palace, it being parted into all kinds of rooms and other conveniences, such as courts and places for bathing, and broad spaces for camps, insomuch that, by having all conveniences that cities wanted, it might seem to be composed of several cities, but by its magnificence it seemed a palace and as the entire structure resembled that of a tower it contained also four other distinct towers at its four corners whereof the others were but fifty cubits high whereas that which lay upon the southeast corner was seventy cubits high that from thence the whole temple might be viewed but on the corner where it joined to the two cloisters of the temple It had passages down to them both, through which the guard, for there always lay in this tower a Roman legion, went several ways among the cloisters, with their arms, on the Jewish festivals, in order to watch the people, that they might not their attempt to make any innovations. For the temple was a fortress that guarded the city, and was the tower of Antonia a guard to the temple, and in that tower were the guards of those three footnote these three guards that lay in the tower of antonia must be those that guarded the city the temple and the tower of antonia and foot there was also a peculiar fortress belonging to the upper city which was herod's palace but for the hill besetha it was divided from the tower antonia as we have already told you and as that hill on which the tower of antonia stood was the highest of these three so did it adjoin to the new city, and was the only place that hindered the sight of the temple on the north. And this shall suffice at present to have spoken about the city and the walls about it, because I have proposed to myself to make a more accurate description of it elsewhere. End of Book Five, Chapter Five.